All right, we're starting. So, um, so how do uh, so remember when we uh, so originally when I bought my house originally, uh, Christy helped us originally. So how uh, my question is, how did you meet uh, Emily to kind of get connected with us? Gosh, I've known Emily for years. So my kids used to go to daycare that Emily worked at. And so that's kind of how we met initially when my oldest daughter, who's now 14, was in diapers. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Long time. Goes by, goes by fast. So um, so what made you originally, you wanted to get into the uh, loan business. What made you decide to get into that business? Well, I started out working as a paralegal in a law firm, helping the attorney do all of the real estate transactions. And so I handled the the whole legal side of the deals for real estate. And then um, I did that for years. And then one day, one of the loan companies, one of the lenders that we worked with regularly came to me and said, Christy, we need another loan officer. We're looking for somebody and we want it to be you. So I kind of started the whole ball rolling in, in my financing world. So, but it, my background with the legal side has helped me hugely because there's so much that I know um, to really be able to help buyers know all sides of the transaction and understand what's going on. Honestly, I think uh, when I first met you is when um, me and Emily got together, we bought our first house together and I was really impressed about like everything you uh, were about because I was originally trying to get into the investing and what impressed me the most about you is that you almost house hacked your way into multiple houses and everything. So can you tell us uh, how kind of you got into that and what made you? Yeah, absolutely. So it kind of started from an unfortunate circumstance. I got divorced and found myself as a single mother um, of two children. And so I had the ability to kind of live where I wanted for the first time in my life. Um, so I bought my first house on my own and I was living in that and it, the house needed quite a bit of renovation. So while I was living there, I renovated the house um, top to bottom, bathrooms, kitchen, the whole nine yards, knocked out walls, everything like that, which was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it through the process. And I was like, Oh, I could do this again. So my mom owned a lot of rental properties at the time and has my whole life. And so I was like, well, I'll just hold on to this property and use it as rental property. And I'll buy another house. So that's what I did. And it turned into a cycle for me. I, I found that I really enjoyed it. I bought a house. I lived in it for a couple of years, renovated it while I was living there and then used it as rental property and bought another one. So I just never sold any. I just kept acquiring new properties and it worked out really well for me. I was lucky. I think that's what, like, even when I started getting into the real estate business and learning more about lending, that's something I actually learned. I didn't realize like, the advantages that you get when you buy a house and then move rather than just buying it and not living with it. So can you tell us like kind of how like the loan process for that and the advantages for that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, So if you buy a house as your primary residence, there's a less down payment required and the interest rate is quite a bit better as opposed to buying a house as investment property and never actually intending to occupy it as your primary residence. So when you buy a house as your primary residence, you sign the deed of trust, which typically you're agreeing to live in the house as your primary residence for at least one year. Um, You know, how long you choose to live in the house after that is totally up to you. But if you buy a house as investment property, you never actually have to occupy it. However, you do have to have um, quite a bit larger down payment funds to put into it 
and the interest rate's a little bit higher. So it's to your advantage to buy one if you have the ability to move around, to buy one, live in it for a couple of years, and then hold it as rental property and buy another one. Yeah, that's what I think is kind of cool because like I told one person one time, because technically you can almost buy three houses for the price of one. So if you buy the first house, you can put 3% down for your first house and then it's five right. and five for the next uh, the next two. So you technically, the same amount of down payment that would require for all three houses, it would require the one for just a rental. And your that's interest right. rate investment property, property. Yeah, investment property, you're going to have to have 15 to 20% down without yeah. a doubt. So that's why I always think like the most important thing is like, even if you're buying a house or it's like your first time house, to always like think that the instances like, hey, this could possibly be a rental because there's so much advantages for that. Because you can right. buy one house, 3% down, the second house, 5% down, the second house, 5% down. You use maximize your money rather than oh, I'm going to buy my dream house. And then later I'm going to do accumulate exactly. the properties. Yeah. So. And you have to be smart about it. Obviously, like you said, you don't want to go out and buy some huge fancy house and then try and turn around and use it as rental property, you're not going to really make any return on your investment as far as monthly payment right. and monthly rental amount. So my, my niche I found for me was brick, three bedroom, two bath houses. Like that's, it makes a perfect rental house, but it was also perfect for me to live in with my two kids at the time as well. So it was kind of a win-win. So when you originally bought uh, those houses, did you um, decide that, Hey, I want to, go into it as this could possibly be another investment or something like that or, or. So the first, so the first house that I purchased, that wasn't kind of, that wasn't the plan. I just knew I needed a house and that happened to be a good one. Um, and so that's where I started. And then as I finished renovations on that one, I was, that's when it kind of hit me that I really liked doing this. And I was kind of bummed that I was finished with renovations and, you know, now I could do it all again with the next house and keep this one. So once I, decided after the first house to purchase another one, then yes, I ideally looked for properties that would fit that same mold. You know, ideally the three bedroom, two bath, brick ranch, you know, they're good solid homes. And then sure. buy them that needed, you know, to be updated with a little bit of TLC. And So originally when you like did your, uh, got the rates, how much difference are the rates from like buying it and living in it rather than just waiting later and just buying it as an investment it's usually a full percent difference in the interest rate. That's yeah, I mean that's a big difference when it comes to cash flow long term and how much money yes. you need to do and stuff like that. That's yes, big. it's a huge and difference. What, people always ask me about what's the criteria when you want to buy a good rental. You know, do you see three bedroom versus two? I always tell them three. In my opinion, works rents quicker. But did you have any certain criteria that you had? So, so, yeah, I mean, you want to try and find a house that people would enjoy living in and want to stay in for a while. So I always chose good areas. I never wanted to um, have a house that wasn't in a good area, good as far as school districts and things like that. Um, and if they have a child or two children, you know, the three bedroom house is the perfect size for a family. And also, once the child's in school, you're more likely for the family to stay there because they don't want to uproot the child and change school districts. So it ends up being a good place where families tend to stay for several years, which was my goal. I don't want a property. I don't want to have to be dealing with tenants moving in and out You know, every year. I want to find tenants that stay. And if their child's in school, that's a more likely firm hold for them. Right. What was like a couple of your... Um 
fears of going to because I know like when I be talking with uh, new investors, a couple of the things that they're afraid of is oh, what if it doesn't what if it doesn't rent? What if uh, what if they just have yeah. the place or what if like all oh, these yeah. and everything like that. So were you scared of being like because I know you manage them yourselves? Were you were you scared uh, to almost take on another second job as being a property manager? Yes, of course. So. I mean, that's always a big fear is, you know, if the house is empty, can I afford two mortgage payments? So I personally made sure, and I feel like it's a good rule of thumb for anybody looking to do this sort of thing. Sorry, my dog's barking. Molly, stop. Um, (laughs) She sees somebody in the front yard. So anyhow, um, I have made it a point to have a minimum of six months reserves in savings before I did it. And when I say six months reserves, I don't just mean six months of my monthly mortgage payments for the two mortgages. I mean, if I could not work for some reason, if I got injured, hurt, whatever, and I could not work, I had six months reserves to be able to pay all of my bills completely, including both mortgages without any rental income to be sure that I would be okay. Because as yeah. a single mom, I didn't have anybody to rely on to, you know, supplement my income. I had to make sure that I would survive no matter what and still be able to take care of my kids. So I made sure that I had six months of reserves to cover me completely 100% if I did not work and I did not have any rental income. Yeah, I feel like that's important. Yeah, some people get almost like too motivated. And, oh, I want to get to here real quick. And they don't actually like protect themselves at all. They get to a scenario like, oh, what you mean? I gotta do repairs now or anything like that? And right. Like, I'll get behind and all that stuff because Kim's also a property manager, also, and mm-hmm. I mean, there are definitely things that happen that you definitely want to be yes. uh, aware of and almost mm-hmm. prepared for. Because nothing yeah, never makes perfect. So. Yeah, yeah. unfortunately, like I got in the business in 2008 when the market crashed, and a lot of people had to rent their houses out because they couldn't afford to sell it. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, you really do have to have some reverse to have a rental property because at the end of the day, you still own that property. And I think a lot of people that get into that business don't realize that, that there's, you have to do the repairs. So That's it's right. not easy. And it's constant maintenance. It's just like any yes. other property that you own, you know, it, it requires consistent maintenance to keep them up and make them to where people want to live there. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's true. Um, so when did you, because I know now originally you're at Atlantic Bay Mortgage, which you really, you, you always uh, rave about um, them being the best and everything like that. So what, what yeah. was your, what was your decision from leaving your uh, the mortgage company you started at originally to Atlantic Bay? Because I know like uh, Emily was telling me that you were pretty well uh, unknown before you went to Atlantic Bay and now uh, everyone's kind of seeing what I, I felt like I always saw was like, uh, was your value. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I think what changed my, so I loved where I worked and I loved the people that I worked with at the other company. However, I started having trouble getting loans closed on time. The whole process seemed to be getting bogged down in the operations. And, you know, my, my name is, is everything in this business. And so I couldn't, I could not have my reputation being damaged by um, loans, not closing on time or, you know, taking too long or, you know, something happening and not being able to close. And so once that started kind of being a consistent problem, that was a red flag for me. And I started looking around and um, I had done a couple of personal loans through Atlantic Bay and the loan officer that I worked with was wonderful. And she had been, you know, 
telling me for years that I needed to switch over to Atlantic Bay from the company I was at, that it would be so much better. And we just kind of built a relationship. And so once I finally had enough, I was like, okay, that's it. I've got to make a change. And for me, there was no question as to where I was going to go. I knew Atlantic Bay was, was the place for me. And it's, I haven't looked back. It's been wonderful. I guess, uh, so what we're more or less trying to do here is we're trying to help almost be the guides that really help people through their finances and help help them grow. So if you were just starting out and let's say you were thinking about buying your first house, what would be some of the things, let's say they wanted to house act, what would be some things that you would tell them to to prepare themselves in regards to like building credit or making sure like you're ready for buying a house or to help build build yourself toward that? For any first-time home buyer, no matter what their plan is long-term, savings is huge. You don't want to go into a house without any savings. Even if you get one of the first-time home buyer programs that offers 100% financing and you don't necessarily have to have any down payment to purchase the property, you have to be prepared for unforeseen circumstances. You know, it's not like you can just not pay your mortgage one month. You have to pay right. that mortgage. So you have to be prepared for that. And um, again, savings is huge, especially in the market we're in right now. If you don't have yeah. a substantial amount in savings, the chances of you winning a bid on a property is not going to be very likely. Um, so I come in uh, contact with people who are in usually pretty good situations, but they always had issues with their credit. So what's some things that uh, like people get started or even us to like help build your credit toward is you said you told me in the past it's all based on your income, your debt to income ratio, and your credit score. So what's something that they can do to help build their credit back up? Well, first things first is pay all your bills on time. You know, don't have any late payments. People don't realize <laughs> how much one late payment on their credit report affects their credit score. But one 30-day late payment can drop your score 100 points overnight. I mean, it's it's crazy. So always, always, always pay your bills on time or early. Um, the next thing that I see the most uh, is damaging to credit reports or credit scores are credit card balances. Again, the the higher the balance compared to the limit on the card, the lower your credit score is going to be. So ideally, you don't ever want the balance on a credit card to be above 30% of the total limit allowed to be charged on the card. If you keep that in mind and you don't ever let those balances go above that 30% mark, then the credit card actually helps build your credit. You pay your your monthly payment on time and don't ever let that balance get too high, then it helps build your credit and your credit will actually improve because of the card. But the moment it goes over that 30% mark, it stops helping and starts hurting. So credit bureaus like to see that you have available credit that you can use, but you don't utilize all of the credit that is available right. to you. If, what else builds their credit? Because I know a lot of people say, well, I have a debit card or I have, you know, little bitty things like that. But what else can they do? Rent? Does rent build their credit? <laughs> no, rent does not build your credit. Most landlords do not report to the credit bureaus. Uh, things that build your credit are actual loans, debt, actual debt. So a credit card, um, an auto loan. I would absolutely stay away from all department store credit cards. Credit bureaus do not like department store cards. They feel that it shows impulsive behavior with your credit because you're in line, you're waiting in line. They say, hey, I'll give you 10% off if you open up this credit yeah. card today. And you say, okay, let's do it. 
And, you know, you're not even thinking about the fact that the credit card has a 29% interest rate on the back end that's going to cost you way more money. You're just looking at immediate um, savings. So credit bureaus don't like department store cards. So I would stay away from those completely. Um, but any type of loan that okay. you get through your bank or a bank credit card or anything like that will definitely help start building your credit. So anything that you have to pay monthly. That's right. A credit. And, and what about medical bills? I get asked that question all the time because they say, well, I have a lot of medical bills that and they, I lost my job or, you know, there's always an, ex, you know, why they had, haven't been paying them. And then student debt. How mm -hmm. does that affect people's credit? So if, if people have medical collections on their credit report, we are not required to hold that balance against them. However, you have to remember that medical collections still hurt your credit score pretty drastically. So you still don't want to have those, even though we don't have to count it in your debt to income ratios. It hurts you hugely in where your credit score actually falls. So, again, it's just like that 30 day late payment. It can it can truly ruin your credit score by having a, a medical collection. But when you say can't hold it against them, what, what does that mean? Like, you, you know, what I'm saying if it still drops their credit, you're kind of holding it against them. Right. I mean, we don't have to count it as a monthly debt. Okay. So typical, typical, typical collections, we have to count a monthly payment for that collection. Um, okay. Or it can, if it's over a certain amount, it can actually disqualify them for a loan completely. Okay. Medical collections, we don't have to view that way. However, it does hurt your credit score. So um, as far as loan qualifying, we don't hold it against you as far as the collection amount or having to use a monthly payment for it in your debt to income ratios. But obviously your credit score is what your credit score is. We can't adjust that. I was actually oh. told one time that like you're supposed to do is like, let's say you have a balance, let's say you use it for groceries or something like that to leave like 20 bucks every month over. To, over. Is that, is that like a thing or did they just, someone just tell me that? So it just depends. Yeah. So it just depends on how you use your credit card. You know, a lot of people think that they can um, charge a balance on their card. And as long as they pay it off every month when they receive the invoice, that they are showing a zero balance to the credit bureaus. But that's not actually true. Credit card companies actually report to the credit bureau before they send you your monthly invoice. So by the time you get the bill in the mail, they have already reported that credit card balance to the bureaus. So let's just say if you um, had a credit card that had a thousand dollar limit and every month you charged $900 on the card, but you paid it off at the end of the month every month. Well, that's great, except the credit for what the credit bureau sees is that you have a revolving $900 balance on your credit card every month, which to them appears that you've already almost maxed out your credit card and you have no available credit. They don't see that you've paid it off because they only see one snapshot of where that credit card balance is throughout the month. And if they see it at $900 and they think your card's maxed out. So if you're going to do something like that, I would suggest paying off the credit card as soon as you use it. So if you want to pay it off each month, that's fine, but pay it off, you know, pay it off weekly rather than waiting to the end of the month to do so. And yes, leaving a small balance on the card can help because if you pay it off completely down to zero every month or every week, and it never actually reports any balance to the credit bureau, then to the credit card or to the credit bureaus, it appears that you're not using it at all, which is not a good thing either. So you want it to be reporting a, 
10, $20 balance at minimum every month and that, and show that you, you know, maintain that or pay it off because that's what helps build your credit score. So you shouldn't leave a whole bunch of credit, you know, cause I'll meet people that have, well, I closed that account. I mean, I don't use that account, but they'll have a whole bunch of store cards or a whole bunch of gas cards, credit cards, but they don't use no balances. So they should close those. No, no, you don't want to close any accounts that have been open for a while, even if they're department store cards that we've talked about. If you've already got them, then, and they have zero balances, let them sit there. Don't, don't close them because at least that does show some credit history for you. You know, if you've had that account open for five years, but you don't use it, um, that's available credit, regardless of the fact that, you know, it's not necessarily ideal, but it is still available credit that you don't utilize which credit bureaus do like. So I would okay. suggest not closing any open accounts, just pay them off and don't use them, but don't close them. So uh, so we talked about credit scores. I guess the next thing was is like we debt to income ratio. I've, uh, I've had in the past, like a certain deal fell through one time is because a person, when they had multiple rental properties, I guess it gets to a point, you know how like so you told me one time, like one, one or two or three, it like evens out 50, uh, 100% with your rent and whatnot there gets to a point where that is no longer um, the same uh, same scenario where it goes like almost like 75 to 100 or something like that. So we, some credit, some loan programs have a limitation to how many um, finance properties you can have at any given time. And so you have to be careful with that and they're all different. So it's impossible to say what, each one is going to be, but some do have limitations. And, but what I think, if I understand you properly, you're asking, will the rental income still be beneficial with multiple properties? Is that yeah. what you're? Yeah. So like, for instance, like uh, I had this one scenario, it was like she had like five or six rentals and it got to where her debt to income ratio is messed up, even though that she had, um, had someone else paying the mortgage more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it just depends on what that profit margin is between what your mortgage payment is and how much you're getting in rent. You know, oh, yeah. if you're upside down and you're, if you're only collecting, you know, a thousand dollars a month rent, but your mortgage is twelve hundred dollars a month. Clearly, that's not going to help you. That's you're still paying two hundred dollars a month out of pocket. Also, we can't count full rent, full monthly rent. Um, in your income, we can only count 75 percent of the monthly rental payment because we have to account 25 percent for a vacancy factor. Because I don't care how great of a landlord you are, no rental property is ever going to be rented 12 months out of the year for several years in a row. You know, you're going to have months where the property is vacant. And so yeah. we have to count a vacancy factor for that. And that starts like if you just like if you have a rental right now and you're buying another one that starts with a, like day one, right? Correct. Yeah. So you want to make sure that if you're if you're buying another property with the intention to utilize it in the future as rental, you want to make sure that you've got a good low mortgage payment on it and that the rental ability for that property would be quite a bit higher so that you do have that profit margin to to make up any difference. Makes sense. That makes sense. Um, So I know like uh, right now there's a lot of people who are it's going to be their first house they're buying. What's some of the advantages for like a first time home buyer? and them going through the, the process and after they build their credit and they've kind of get everything straight, what's some of the loan um, processes that are advantage to first-time home buyers? So we have really great programs for first-time home buyers. We have some grant programs where the buyer only has to put 1% down. We have 
conventional programs that for first time home buyers where they only have to have a 3% down payment. No, we good. have um, 100% financing options. So, you know, it's all, we, we have plenty of programs that can really fit exactly what a borrower needs, which is hugely helpful when we're trying to find custom products to fit, to fit exactly what they're looking for and what's going to help them secure their financial future in the best possible way. So what's so some of the 0% financing options or 100% financing down payment? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that would be through our VHDA or now their Virginia housing um, mm -hmm. bond programs that offer 100% financing for first time home buyers. There's credit score requirements and income limitations that go along with it, but essentially it allows the borrower to borrow the full purchase price of the property. So then at that point, they don't have to have any down payment at all. The only thing that they are responsible for paying is their closing costs. Are the yeah. interest rates a little bit higher or are they still getting the, when you use these programs? They're still really great interest rates because they're government funded. They're really great loans. Would it, would that be a, like 100% or is it almost like have you have like a small uh, second mortgage on the property also? Great question. So the first loan is for the typical, there. It, it, the 100% financing option does consist of two loans. The first loan is the typical um, conforming loan. So a conventional or FHA loan where you would have to have three, three and a half percent down payment. But then because this loan is through Virginia Housing, they allow you to borrow the required down payment from them as well, which is also a 30-year mortgage fixed at the same interest rate as the first loan. So it's super low, but they basically allow you to borrow the down payment requirement from them. So essentially you have two loans. The first one is for your typical mortgage payment. The second one is super low payment, usually like 20 bucks a month or so um, to cover that down payment. And then you have the option to ride that out for 30 years and pay the low interest rate on it, or you can pay it off as fast as you want to and get rid of it. But it allows you to not have to have any funds for down payment requirements. And so those aren't bundled, that payment's not bundled together. They're, they're going to be two separate payments. Yep. You pay them to the same place. However, it is two separate payments. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And That's so like, yeah, what, once they pay, they can choose to pay off the, uh, the shorter ones. That's uh, right. And reduce their payments. I and get that done and then still have the first mortgage just like normal. Okay. I know one of the other uh, packages that people are really looking to right now is like a two or three K loan because everyone wants to uh, to fix um, fix and flip or fix up a house and do renovations and stuff like that. What's some of the um how does that process really work and what's some of the advantages like that? You said recently that rates used to be a lot higher for that, but now things have changed and it's not that good. Yeah, the rates are pretty good on a renovation loan right now. They're really only about an eighth higher than the typical conventional conforming loan. So um, last I checked, of course, this is Sunday, so I can't pull rates today. But last time I checked them last week, uh, they were really good. And the the 203K or the renovation, conventional renovation loan, it's a really great option for people that are trying to find houses in this uh, fast paced market. You know, if you find a house that is in a great location and you know you you love the house with but it's a little old maybe dated kitchen dated bathrooms you can use the renovation loan to purchase the house and fund the renovations for the updated kitchen and bathroom make it exactly what you want and still only have to have your minimum you know five percent or three and a half percent down payment and it covers all of the cost of the renovation so it's a really great product to help people 
have the home of their dreams, even though the house, when they first look at it, isn't necessarily the home of their dreams. So uh -huh. are this yeah, well, I'm sorry. Are the are the requirements about the same? I mean, can you be out looking at a house and then see this house and think, oh my God, let me switch? So is it kind of an easy process to switch, or do you have to be a stronger buyer to get one of those? You definitely have to be a stronger buyer. You don't want to be one floating on the bottom, the bottom tier of the credit score requirements. You know, you don't want to be a with a 640 credit score. That's not really going to work um, for a renovation loan. So you want to be a stronger buyer. Typically, you have to have, you know, a couple of months reserves, mortgage payments. So you want to make sure that you've got some savings as well. Um, but other than that, it's pretty consistent. Like if you can qualify for X number of dollar conventional loan, then you can qualify for a renovation loan as well. So what would be the process for that? Because I know it's a little different. It's like, so let's say they get pre-approved and everything like that. Let's say we get under contract and we want to do a two, two or three K loan or like conventional um, renovation loan. How does that work when y'all's in? Because I know you have, they have to calculate with what the repairs would cost and everything like that. That's right. How, right. How does that work? So the buyer would have to choose a contractor to give them a line item detailed contract price on what it would cost to do the repairs. Um, or renovations that they want done on the property. Uh, the appraisal on the property would be done based on purchase price plus proposed renovations. So the appraiser would look at the plans and specs and they would they would appraise the property as though the repairs were already completed. So they would say, okay, once this property is updated per these plans and specs, this is what the value will be. As far as the loan amount goes, when we lend the money, we base it off of that appraised proposed improvement value. So the buyer would have to have for, for a conventional loan renovation, they didn't need a 5% down of that total acquisition cost or purchase price plus proposed, proposed renovations. At closing, we pay the seller for the sale price of the property, you know, just like a normal closing. And then we disperse funds to the contractor after closing for the renovation work that gets done. And depending on what type of loan you do depends on, how that's done. But typically we give the contractor like 50% up front to get the job done, start the work. And once it's finished completely, we do a final inspection. And once that and if that's done, then we go ahead and disperse the other 50% of the renovation funds to the contractor. Uh, so now, is that, I, sorry, as I understand, so that, but you can't do the work yourself. A lot of people ask that question. Correct. You cannot. Even, even if you're a licensed contractor, correct? Correct. It does not matter. You cannot do the work yourself and it can't be, the licensed contractor can't be a family member either. You can't have any relationship. Okay. <clears throat> Makes sense. Yeah. I've had that scenario where it's, oh, I can just do it myself, you know? Right. Yeah. No, it doesn't work that way. HGTV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's when you need your own savings. <laughs> yes. I think that could be like a, because kind of now everything right now is like super competitive. It kind of makes it where rather than you putting all your money, um, losing all your cash by trying to renovate, that's a good scenario to do is to more or less buy it. Yes. Because you're more or less buying an investment property, you can kind of build value that way if you're competing. Exactly. With so I think that's a good. Uh, good thing to do but mm -hmm. uh, i think recently in the past uh i think i remember seeing one of your videos you were talking about rates versus like inflation and stuff like that so i know like now everyone's scared like with the price going up inflation is going up and everything like what how does that really affect uh mortgage rates right now well um 
Yes, inflation is on the rise. It's of all the reports that are coming out, it definitely seems that inflation is is definitely something that we are going to be dealing with for a while. Um, and interest rates do increase. When we have high inflation rates in the country, then the interest rates follow. So we are definitely in a, a rising interest rate market. You know, rates over the last couple of years have been at historic lows, lower than they've ever been. Um, but we're going to see that steadily start to creep up a little bit over the next couple of years. Yeah. When I say creep up a little bit, I mean, rates are still really good. Right. You know, they're yes. still really good historically. They're just not lower than they've ever been. So a lot of people get freaked out and think, oh, my gosh, rates are so high. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, they're still amazing. Yeah, really, so really, why do, really low. So why do the rates creep up? Is it kind of like quality control trying to keep the inflation from going higher or why do they do that? So it's a little bit difficult to explain, but the as inflation increases, the value of that loan being sold on the secondary market actually decreases because if an investor can purchase a loan at 3% interest rate of return on their investment, or they can purchase a loan at 6% rate of return on their investment, which one do you think they would purchase? Yeah, the higher. They want the higher interest rate. So yeah. all of a sudden this 3% interest rate loan starts losing value because nobody wants to buy it. So now in order for that loan to be sold, they have to discount that that price. So a $100,000 loan is no longer worth $100,000 when you've got a $100,000 loan with 6% interest over here. Now this one's really only worth like 75,000 or maybe 50,000. So yeah. investors, so as inflation goes up, it causes the interest rates to rise. So then the investors want to purchase the higher interest rates. So the value of the lower mortgage interest rates go down and it's, it's just a cycle. Right. Did you see it like going up? Because uh, I know at one point it was like, it was crazy low. It was like 2.3, 2. Yeah. 2.4, like crazy. And then like all of a sudden it started creeping up. Like I think it was like over like a one week, it jumped like 0.25 or something like that. Or, do you see, ever see that, that continuing along? We had a pretty period? good jump there for a little while. But of course, you know, if I had a crystal ball, then I'd be a millionaire. It's like the stock market, yeah. you know, you yeah. don't know what it's gonna, what's going to happen. So, you know, we can all sit back and, sum, and summarize what we think. Oh, this is what's going to happen or interest rates are going to go up or they're going to go down. But it's all it's all a prediction. We don't none, nobody knows for sure. Yeah. You know, you just kind of look at historic data over the years as to what's happened under certain circumstances and, you know, say, okay, well, based on that, this is what, is what might happen. So I don't expect rates to go like super high by no means. I mean, I can remember my first mortgage was like 6%. And I thought that was a great rate. So, you know, they're, they're certainly not anywhere near that. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, in the grand scheme bought, of things, I, I think the rates are still really low. I bought my house five years ago. I believe it was like uh it was like 4.5 or something like that. And then I bought another house two years, uh, two years after that. And it was like the rates dropped from like 4. Uh, 4.5 to like 3 point something. And it was like yeah. the rate wise monthly payment. I went up to like to buy it in the house, like a hundred thousand dollars more because the rates were still low. It, uh, it was like the same mortgage payment. So it was like I was trading up, but everything. Was right. Just, you got a bigger house and still the yeah. same payment. Yeah. And I think that's yes. uh, kind of something to consider. I think a lot of people right now, they're kind of on the fence whether or not Hey, should I buy now uh, or later? I think uh, everyone thinks sees the price, but I think also like the, um, the rates super important also because that's more or less what you're going to be paying. That's right. Off. And the rates are still super low right now and yeah. they are expected to increase. So you're going to be able to afford more house right now if, if what is predicted 
happens, you'll be able to afford more house right now than you would be a year from now because that interest rate is going to increase. So the same house is going to cost you more in a year from now than it would today. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Well, well uh, someone's... Oh, I'm sorry. If someone, I had this, I just got this phone call actually this morning. If someone needs to fix their credit and they're, they're claiming that there's some things on there that are, are correct, incorrect, what do they do? Because, you know, you've got a lot of people out there wanting money to help people fix their credit. I mean, what mm -hmm. is the best way? Do you pay, do you pay somebody or? So I can help clients repair their credit to a certain extent. I'm certainly not a credit repair expert. I'm a mortgage lending expert, so I can do some credit repair and help them out and out, give them pointers on things that they need to do. However, if it's outside of my wheelhouse or beyond my expertise, I refer them to a credit repair company that I know and trust um, because they are the credit repair companies are not all created equal. And some of them can take advantage of people. So I have one in particular that I prefer that I use. Well, that's a great that's a great resource for people. Yes. Yes. Um, so what's your favorite? Like, I know that every scenario is different, but uh, what's your favorite loan packages? I've always been told conventional is probably the, the best one I've always heard with terms and stuff like that. It's more desirable. So um, it just depends on the buyer and what they need as to what's my favorite. You know, it, it varies with each buyer, um, what their situation is, if they're military, if they have money saved for a down payment, if they need 100 percent financing, you know. It, it literally changes for each person as to what their situation is, what they need, what's going to be the best to give them the best financial future possible. Um, you know, I look at all of those things when I'm deciding what loan program to put someone in. Yeah, I think I think my uh, reason I like uh, conventional so much is because you can technically get the uh, PMI off after, after the value exceeds. Mm -hmm. I believe it's yes. 80 or something like that. 80%. Yep. You yeah. You get 20% equity agree. in the property. The PMI goes away on a conventional loan. That's correct. Yeah. Um, are y'all seeing a lot of uh, refinances right now? Or because I know. Like, they have of kind of. Um, so back when the rates were, of course, you know, in the twos, there were refinances coming out of the woodwork. People wanted to refinance to a lower interest rate. It's kind of slowed up a little bit now, but there are still really some great opportunities for like cash out refinances because people have so much equity in their property. They can do a cash out refinance to do some of those home upgrades that um, that they may not have the cash in, in pocket to do. So it's a good situation. So we're, we live in a very um, big military uh, market and also, so mm -hmm. what, uh, so are people able, is there like a limit on like the house that you can get for a VA loan or? It just depends on whether they've ever used the VA loan before. Um, if they're first time home buyers using their VA loan, they've never used it before, then there's no limit. If they have, then, you know, certain calculations have to be used to determine what they're eligible for at that time. Yeah, because I think um, one time we worked with a guy who's used a VA loan, was able to use a VA loan, VA loan twice. Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you can utilize your VA loan. You can actually own two houses at one time with the VA loan. So it's a really great product to use if you have it at your disposal. It's it's a wonderful loan. Nice. I got you. Um, Kim, do you, uh, do you have anything else you would like to ask? 
Oh, back to the rehabilitate. Oh, when you're going to refi to cash out, like you said, to do some re some upgrades to your house. What is what is the rule there? What's the value of your house to the mortgage rate? I mean, does it have to be like it's got to be lower than 80, 20? Does it have to be like a 70, 30? Again, it just depends on the loan product as to which one we're doing the, the cash out refinance on, whether it's conventional or FHA. Each one has some different criteria that it has to fit into. But typically you'd want, you know, for the better interest rates and that sort of thing and not have to pay PMI, you'd want to be in a conventional loan. And and the max loan that with even with the cash out amount, you wouldn't want it to exceed the 80 percent mark um, just so that that PMI doesn't kick in and you still have a great loan product. But we have different loan products to suit everybody's needs. Right. Okay. I think I had this issue at the beginning. So like after, let's say we're under contract on the house and we're going through the process, you know how like when, once you get approved for a loan, there's certain things you shouldn't do. What, mm-hmm. what are some of the things you shouldn't do when you're at your Don't go and buy new furniture once you're under contract thinking that, oh, I need new furniture for my house. Don't do that. Don't buy new furniture. Don't buy a new car. Don't do anything different with your credit than what you have been doing all along. Don't change anything, but also don't apply for any new credit, not for anything. Wait until after you close to do anything necessary. So you're saying you need to do while you're in the process process to save your money. So you're saying I can't go buy new furniture or anything like that or? No, not if you're looking at buying a house. (laughs) Right. You can do it with uh, like, more or less cash and stuff like that. You just can't put it on your credit card. Or something That's like not that. always a good thing either, because if I'm counting yeah. that cash as reserves or your down payment funds and you go and spend it, you're not going to qualify anymore. So don't do anything. Don't buy anything, right. credit or not. And if you have to call me and we'll talk about it before I tell you yes or no. Yeah. The biggest thing is refrigerators because they're so expensive right now. And it's like, no, just <laughs> wait to that day. Yes. You know? You, yes. Like right before you're about to close, you have to have all your money in one account also because that came out of their instances like that where um, people were trying to transfer their money all into one account and it's got to have to have a certain uh, So like, it doesn't have to account. be all in one account. Um, in fact, we don't like to see people transferring their funds from one account to the other multiple times throughout the, the loan transaction because it just creates more documentation that they have to provide to us. So if you have half your down payment in your checking account and half of it in your savings account, that's fine. We just get bank statements from both. And then the day of closing, you can pull funds from whatever account you need to for the for the down payment funds. Um, so I would suggest don't transfer your money around at all unless necessary. It just makes it an easier process for the buyers and less documentation you have to give to us and less explanation. It makes sense. It makes sense. And what about gift letters? You know, we get that a lot. Well, my mom's going to give me $40,000 or, or things like that. What, how does that have to work? Can you get that just the day before closing or tell people you know, what they have to do to make that, you know, so that's usually one of the conditions that we collect prior to getting the clear to close on a loan. We, we assist the buyer and their family members with that gift letter and sending it out and that sort of thing. That would be something that would be handled prior to closing. And my, so my does the parents have the to one. show? Yeah, uh, sorry. Do the parents have to show where that money comes from too? Or is that? Again, it changes with each loan program is different as what, what the um, requirements are. Some of them, the parents have to show proof that they have the funds in their account. Some they don't. We just need to copy the check. It just depends on the loan program. So, so in other words, so I can get one of my, my friends to just give me, uh, loan me some money or? No, it has to be a parent or immediate family member. <laughs> in most in most situations. Okay. So um 
I got what you're saying. So more or less, this has to be like one of your immediate family family members can be it can be just anyone. Right, and they have to sign the letter saying that they're gifting you the funds with no requirement for repayment. That makes sense. Uh, um, yeah. Kim, do you have anything else you would like to uh, ask, Christy? No, I'm good. Yeah, I think we covered the basic loans and just how to get your credit repaired. And yeah. Christy's a great resource and the types of loans. There's only one. Okay, I've got thought of one other thing. A lot of people come to me and ask me about the cities, like the cities have grants. So do they apply directly? How do you find out about those? And do you do you apply to the city for that money? Yeah, so like every city is different. And what's available changes throughout the year. So you have to check back because they only have a certain amount of funds allocated for that. Typically, you have to apply to the city for those grant funds directly. That's not something that I get involved in specifically. I can certainly help you with what's needed, but you have to apply for that directly. Um, and like I said, every city's different. You have to get approved for those funds prior to going co under contract on a property. The cities won't allow it. Most of the time, they won't allow it if you're already under contract. And it's a long okay. process, so you definitely wanna jump on that right away. And so the minimum score, one more time, for a first time home buyer wanting to use the, um, you know, the, the programs out there is what, what's the minimum score right now that we're looking for? So 640 is what we like to see. That's not a hard okay. drawn in the a line in the sand number, but, um, you know, under certain, extreme circumstances, I can get them approved a little lower than that, but they have to have some pretty huge compensating factors if it's less than a 640. So okay. ideally you want a 640 and above. Does their credit right. score affect their, what rates they can get? Like I say, if their credit score is like 640. Most loans, the credit score does affect their interest rate, but on the VH Virginia housing loans, it does not. So I keep seeing on uh, Facebook because Facebook is such a reliable source of information. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, Something about the government is like trying to give gift uh, like fifteen thousand dollars or something like that, some kind of amount to uh, new home homeowners. Is, do you know anything about that? I don't. Uh, I do not. Probably wasn't true. <laughs> I, I mean, it'd be nice if it was, but I yeah. haven't seen any such thing. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we really appreciate your time and yeah, uh, of course. I've got a lot of value from this, so I know a lot of other. Get a lot of value. Good. Thank you. Thanks so much yeah, for having me. Nice. I really appreciate yes. it. Yes, yeah, nice chatting. Yes, absolutely. Like our Sunday morning break. <laughs> right? <laughs>